Hi, I'm Beth. And I'm Jimmy. And we're the Talk to the Hand podcast. Second episode, Beth. How do you think the first one went? I thought it went well. Um, I think we chose a really interesting person, Gillian Telforth. Her life sort of away from the soaps and then mirrored in the soaps. It was just, you know... In fact, in some some cases, it was more bizarre in her personal life than it was on the soap, wasn't it? yeah. Okay, so we've got a new one today. Uh, we're going to talk through, and we, we've actually met this person, haven't we? We have, we have. Yeah, we did a meet and greet, didn't we, at the theatre? We did. So we're going to talk today about Paul Gascoigne, affectionately known as Gaza. So great, let's rewind to the 90s. Paul John Gascoigne. Affectionately known as Gaza is a name that reverberates through football folklore. Born in 1967 in Gateshead, Gascoigne's journey from the humble streets of his hometown to the grand stages of international football is a testament to his exceptional talent and enduring legacy. A maverick on the field and a complex personality of it, Gascoigne's life story is one of triumphs, trials and a constant battle between brilliance and adversity. Gaza was the son of John and Carol Gascoigne, who named him Paul John after Beatles members Paul McCartney and John Lennon. I didn't know that. Were you aware of that? No, I didn't know that. He had a younger sister named Lindsay. His family worked in a... They lived in a council estate in Gateshead, an area known for its industrial heritage. Gaza's father worked as a hod carrier and his mother was a cleaner. The family's financial circumstances were modest, which meant that Gaza had a childhood rooted in practicality and the value of hard work. From a young age, he displayed an innate passion and talent for football. He spent countless hours kicking the ball around the streets near his home, and his love for the sport was nurtured by his family, especially his father, who played a significant role in supporting his football ambitions. When he was 10, Gaza witnessed the death of his friend Stephen, who was his friend's younger brother, who was killed after being hit by a car. Around the same time, Gaza began developing obsessions and twitches, and was taken into therapy, but his father was dubious of their benefit and stopped him going. Now, I think that was something that was probably quite common back then when there was a bit more cynicism around therapy. Yeah, and mental health issues, yeah. Exactly. So Gaza's footballing journey began in the local youth teams of Gateshead Boys. It was here that his remarkable skills started to catch the attention of coaches and scouts. His natural ability to control the ball, his agility and his creativity on the pitch made him stand out among his peers. He was scouted by Ipswich Town while playing for Gateshead Boys, but he didn't make an impact when he went for a trial there. He had trials at Middlesbrough and Southampton, but again no luck. But then the team he supported, Newcastle United, signed him on as a schoolboy in 1980, and a fabulous year that was. Ah, yes, if you say so. The only thing that Gazza seemed to love as much as football was having a laugh and playing pranks with his friends. Jimmy Fiveberry's gardener was his wingman and remained so for many years. Gaza was often overweight while signed to the Newcastle youth side on account of his love for Mars bars and junk food. Newcastle's then manager, Jack Charlton, told Gaza he was a bit chubby and gave him two weeks to sort himself out or he'd be out the door. Gascoigne then trained for 10 days wrapped in a black bag and managed to retain his place at Newcastle. Now, Newcastle's youth team won the FA Youth Cup in the 84-85 season and Gaza was captain and he scored two goals in the final. After the game, Jack Charlton told Gazza he'd get his chance in the first team the next day. This was it, he'd made it. 
Gazza did travel with the first team, but he didn't actually get picked. He did, however, get his chance as a substitute in the 1-0 win over QPR on the 13th of April 1985. He signed a new deal for two years, which would see him paid £120 per week. That's quite different to the sort of salaries footballers earn now. The club, having seen some promise in their young start, ensured they'd put in an additional two-year option into his contract. Jack Charlton was replaced later on by Willie McFall, and he put Gazza into the starting lineup for the first game of the season. He was then becoming a key player for the team, racking up eight goals in that season as Newcastle finished in mid-table. The following season, Newcastle finished in a disappointing 17th place. However, Gazza was making a strong reputation for himself. He was in the England under-21 setup. He was named as PFA Young Player of the Year. And it was during that season that the famous picture of Vinnie Jones grabbing his genitals and Gazza reacting, well, Gazza reacting as any man would. So has that ever happened to you? Uh, No, it hasn't happened to me. Well, not on a football pitch anyway. No, okay then. (laughs) Now, Gazza was getting the attention of other top clubs. He spoke with Alex Ferguson and promised that he would sign for Manchester United when Ferguson returned from his holiday. While Ferguson was on holiday, Tottenham Hotspur swooped in. The deal saw Tottenham pay a club record fee of around two million, making Gascoigne the most expensive signing in British football at the time. Ferguson was fuming. Tottenham were delighted though, and so was Gazza, who had arranged a new house for his parents and a new car for his sister as part of the deal. Oh, you see, that is nice, isn't it? Sorting out his family. And I think as we go through the story, there's going to be some times where we look at some of the actions that Gazza's taken and mm. question perhaps his hero status at times, but there was always this other aspect of him that sat there, the, the decency and the generosity. Mm. Now, Tottenham finished sixth in the league in Gaza's first season and finished third the year after, and Gaza had become a fan favourite. He won the club's Player of the Year award, but that was dwarfed by what came next. So having made his England debut two years earlier, Gaza hadn't fully announced himself on the international stage. And he wasn't certain that he was going to make it to the 1990 World Cup. He did make sure of his inclusion in a 4-2 win against Czechoslovakia, where he scored one goal and played a part in each of the other three. The World Cup was to be held in Italy. You may remember Pavarotti's famous song Uh, that still brings goose pimples to this day. Mm. Yeah, it does. That is amazing. And and like you say, when you hear it, that's what you think of. Absolutely. It takes you back to the time, doesn't it? So Gaza hadn't yet started a competitive match for his country, but there was excitement about the talent he would bring to the squad. In the World Cup, he played all three group games which saw England qualify to the knockout stages. A fantastic free-kick assist against Belgium saw England qualify to play Cameroon. England beat Cameroon and Gaza was on fire. He wasn't just being noticed by the England fans. The world was watching a phenomenal talent come to the fore. It was in the next match, the semi-final against West Germany, where Gaza took that step beyond football, transcending from the someone who kicked a ball to the most recognisable man in the country. He'd been booked in the game against Belgium. Now in the semi-final, if he was booked, it would mean that he would miss the final. His enthusiastic challenge on German Thomas Berthold saw the referee rush towards Gaza and raise that yellow card. If England won, Gaza was to miss the greatest night for English football since 1966. And he knew it. The pain etched on his face. The tears began to flow. He couldn't hold them in and he didn't want to. Gary Lineker could see what was happening and looked over to manager Bobby Robson, gesturing that he should keep an eye on Gaza. He needn't have worried. 
Gaza worked his socks off for the rest of the game, doing everything he could to put his team, his country, into the finals. The game ended as a draw and went to penalties. West Germany had won, but the hero was undoubtedly Paul Gascoigne. Gaza mania went crazy. Arriving back from Italy, the England team left the plane to delirious cheering from fans gathered to welcome them back. Gaza, ever the joker, emerged with plastic tits over his chest. His tears during the semi-final defeat against West Germany became an indelible image, reflecting his emotional investment in the game. Gaza's performances earned him international acclaim and etched his name in football folklore. He released the single, Fog on the Time, which reached number two in the charts, despite the fact that his singing, well, it was probably a similar level to yours, Beth. Ah, oh, cheers, Jimmy. He had computer games out and a long list of endorsements, which had made him a sizable sum. In his free time, he spent much of it out in London with his drinking pals, Danny Baker and Chris Evans. It was this year that he met the woman that would go on to be his wife. Gazza was out in a wine bar with friends when he saw Cheryl Kyle. He approached her and they swapped numbers. She, a mother of two children, had recently split from her husband. She was struggling financially, surviving on £63 a week benefits. She says she has no idea who Gazza was until her friend told her. The pair would go on to have a tumultuous relationship, which we will return to. The following season was going well. Gaza had become a leader within the Tottenham team and had driven them to the FA Cup final. He scored six goals on the way to the final, including one cracking free kick in the semi-final against rivals Arsenal. In the final, they would play Brian Clough's Nottingham Forest. Gaza seemed on edge. He was lucky to escape a booking, or worse, in the early minutes as he launched into a mistimed tackle into the chest of Gary Parker. A few minutes later, Gaza collided with Forrest's Gary Charles, resulting in a serious knee injury to Gaza. The injury turned out to be a ruptured anterior cruciate ligament, an ACL injury in his right knee. He was stretched off and taken to hospital. Tottenham, having gone on to win the cup, brought it to Gaza's bedside after the game. However, the injury would have lasting implications for Gaza, and it would be the last time he'd play for Tottenham, and he'd be out of the game at all for 16 months. I think already during this story, you can start to see that there are some really big highs like the World Cup and making it through to the FA Cup, driving the team forward, but then some mm-hmm. significant lows that would follow it. Yeah. yeah. And that really remains the case throughout his life. Yeah. Yeah. Even when he fully retired. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Before the final, he'd actually been set to join Italian club Lazio for 8.5 million, but that move was off or at least on hold. He'd missed the entire 1991-92 season and managed to get into a nightclub scuffle which caused further damage to his knee. However, when he had recovered, Lazio came back with a 5.5 million offer which was accepted and he moved to play over in Italy's Serie A. Gaza received a 2 million sign-in on fee and a contract worth £22,000 a week. He played his first game for Lazio in September 92 but was taken off after suffering an injury. He never fully got to grips with Italian life and had various scrapes, often physical, with reporters there. When asked on live television how he felt about being dropped by England, he belched loudly down the microphone. The Italians were furious. The Lazio fans held affection for Gaza, particularly after he scored against their hated rivals Roma, but Lazio's owner was not such a fan, especially after Gaza had said to him, in his Geordie Italian, your daughter, big tits. Why would you say that to like... Technically, that's his boss, isn't it? Why would you say that about your boss's daughter? Uh, technically, it's his boss's boss. Boss's boss. So, um, so. It, it does seem mm. quite strange, but Gazza was always, as I remember him, very much a man-child. 
Yeah. And I think yeah. because of his talent, he was all excuses were always made for him for some mm. of the things that he got up to. Mm. However, now that he's over in Italy, they didn't really appreciate the background. Mm. And they didn't yeah. find some of the stuff that was found amusing here the same mm. in Italy. Mm. So Gaza did get back into the England team, but broke his cheekbone playing for England in 1993. And he played the rest of the season with a mask. Lazio finished fifth, which saw them qualify for Europe for the first time in 16 years. The season after, he broke his leg in a training ground tackle. Again, a tackle made by Gaza himself. After recovering, it was agreed by Gaza and Lazio that it would be best for him to move on at the end of the season. Rangers signed Gaza for 4.3 million and gave him 15,000 pounds per week. Rangers won the League and Cup and Gaza was popular among fans. He scored 19 goals in 42 appearances and was named the Scotland's Player of the Year and the Footballer of the Year. Terry Venables, who'd signed Gaza at Tottenham, was now England manager, and England were hosting the Euros. And in a pre-tournament trip to Hong Kong, Gascoigne and several other players had drinks poured into their mouths while sitting in the dentist chair. Mm, I remember you telling me about what that was, yeah. So the media didn't take kindly to this, and especially on the eve of such a big mm. tournament. Mm. However, whilst playing against Scotland in the Euros, Gaza found a way to switch it on when it mattered. Taking the ball from Darren Anderton's pass, with his left foot he flicked it over Colin Hendry's head, leaving him completely oblivious to where the ball was. He turned around in time to see Gaza catch it sweet on the volley with his right foot and straight into the goal. The crowd were jubilant as Gaza ran to the side of the goal and lay flat on his back. His teammates approached with the squirty bottles, pouring water down his throat, replicating the dentist chair, mocking the furore that had followed the incident. England made it to the semi-finals, but once again lost on penalties to... Germany. Yes. That's... It's always Germany. <laughs> that same summer, Gaza married Cheryl Kyle. He adopted Cheryl's two children from her first marriage, Bianca and Mason, and they took his surname. Four months earlier, Cheryl had given birth to Paul's only biological child, Regan Gascoigne. Gaza remained in decent form the season after and won the league again, but his alcohol dependency was becoming more obvious. His love of pranks didn't diminish, and when young Italian Gattuso joined Rangers, Gaza welcomed him by crapping in his sock. I yeah, yeah, okay. That's not really the sort of football prank you appreciate, uh, is it, Beth? No, not at all. So in November 1997, Gascoigne received a five-match ban after being sent off for violent conduct in a match against Celtic. But things took a sinister turn when he mimed playing a flute in front of Celtic fans in 1998. He'd done this once before and claimed not to realise the connotations, with the flute being symbolic of the flute playing of the Orange Order marches. Gaza, who had both a Catholic and a Protestant parent, infuriated the Celtic support. He also received a death threat from an IRA member. At the end of the season, Gaza was sold to Middlesbrough. Meanwhile, Glenn Hoddle had taken over as England manager and was playing Gaza. That is, until he selected his squad for the 1998 World Cup. He dropped Gaza, which was a massive shock to everyone, not least Gaza himself. One week earlier, there'd been tabloid pictures of Gaza out drinking and eating kebabs with his mate, Chris Evans. Gaza didn't take the rejection well and wrecked the room that he was told the news in. He had to be restrained. After 57 appearances for his country, his journey with England was over for good. And I think as I looked through Gascoigne's whole life, this was probably the biggest downhill moment. It was from, from there that everything seemed to get worse for him. Mm, okay. It was something he never really seemed to recover from. 
Has Glenn Hoddle ever come out and said the reasons why he dropped him? If you're saying it was a shock to the world, does that mean they couldn't understand why he dropped him? I think at the time, Gascoigne's behaviour was becoming a bit of a distraction for the rest of the squad. And sometimes it is difficult, although he had this mercurial, magical talent within the squad, he was quite ill-disciplined. And sometimes, particularly when you're a new manager to a team, Mm. instilling that discipline is important. And it's important that you're not seen to be made a fool of or mocked. Mm. Mm-hmm. And Gaza sometimes did do that. So there was an incident. Glenn Hoddle, he ended up losing his job because he had this uh, belief in, in a faith healer and because yeah. he said some things about what people yeah. may come back to in their yeah. second life yeah. as, mm-hmm. you know, in terms of disabled people. He yeah. said, mm-hmm. we're coming back disabled because of karma from their yeah. first life. Yeah. So he had some of these beliefs which he shared. Gaza was quite cynical about the faith healer, but Glenn Hoddle had all of the players going to see her. But Gaza was very obvious about the fact he thought it was a big joke. Mm. Now, I'm sure most of the other players did as well, but they never made it as obvious it's as Gaza did. It's about respect, isn't it? Showing th- respect so. to your manager, yeah. Or at least appearing to show, show respect. respect. Yeah. Things were bad at home after this, extremely bad. Gaza admitted to beating his wife, Cheryl, and they divorced that year, even though they were still seeing each other. And when I say seeing each other, I mean sleeping together. Yeah. That was something that continued all the way through till 2003. Cheryl received a settlement in the divorce of a lump sum of £660,000 and then £120,000 a year thereafter. Before the start of the season, Gaza had been having blackouts after blaming himself for the death of a friend who died after Gaza and a group of friends went out on a night drinking. Gaza had been to rehab, but he continued to drink heavily. He went into rehab in 98 after a drinking session where he drank 32 shots of whiskey. His manager had signed him into the Priory while he was still unconscious. He stayed for two weeks but left before he was supposed to. He had various stints in rehab and we'll talk more about some of those but alcoholism seemed to have too great a pull on him. His form on the pitch though was surprisingly good but the following year he broke his arm elbowing his opponent. So we can see here continually that on the pitch, he's having these high moments and then getting injured all the time. And off the pitch, he had the high moments of getting with Cheryl, yeah, the baby. adopting the kids, having yeah, the child. Yeah. But then everything that went after mm-hmm. that. He later joined Everton on a free transfer, but his time there was plagued by injuries and depression. And he left the club in 2002. He joined Burnley, playing just six matches for them, but left after two months. In a surprise move, he signed for Chinese club, and I'm going to try and pronounce it for you. <laughs> Gansu Tianma, as a player coach. After four games, he went back to the USA for treatment for drinking depression and he never returned to China. He later took a similar role with Boston United in England and that only lasted for three months. He became manager of Kettering Town, who played in the Conference League in 2005. His time there lasted 39 days. The owner of the club blames Gas's alcoholism stating that he drank almost every day that he worked there. The downward spiral continued at pace. In 2008, he was sectioned after an apparent suicide attempt. In 2010, he was arrested after a disturbance outside a takeaway, and a month later, he was charged for drink driving. Perhaps the most bizarre event occurred in July 2010. Raul Moat was wanted by the police, and there was a standoff being covered in the news. A confused Gaza was watching the news and thought he could help. He packed some lager, chicken, a fishing rod and a dressing gown and made his way to the scene. 
People found this funny at the time, and in some ways it was. But when you look back at it, we're talking about a man that clearly had severe mental issues. Mm-hmm. Later that year, he was once again arrested for drink driving after being caught four times over the legal limit. He was warned he could be sent to prison, but a day later he was arrested again, this time for possession of cocaine. Just no boundaries, really, is he? He went to rehab again, but fell off the wagon in 2013. He was arrested for assaulting a railway security guard and being drunk and disorderly at Stevenage Railway Station. He was fined £1,000 and had to pay £100 compensation to the guard. Early 2014, he entered rehab for the seventh time. And later that year, he was again sectioned under the Mental Health Act. The year after, he was given a restraining order for harassing an ex-girlfriend and assaulting a photographer. Soon after that, he was fined £1,000 after telling a racist joke and racially abusing his black bodyguard. With his fragile mental state, Gaza had been experiencing paranoia for a number of years. He frequently accused family members of passing stories to the tabloids, who never tired of covering the mishaps and tribulations in his life. In 2015, the source of the leaks became apparent and Gaza went to court as part of the case against the Mirror Group newspapers. They'd been hacking his phone, something he said escalated his alcoholism and indeed the paranoia. A therapist Gaza was seeing at the time did diagnose his paranoia on the basis of his belief that his phone was being hacked. So he was diagnosed with paranoia, but the thing he was paranoid about actually did actually happen. Actually was happening, yes. Yeah. From the year 2000, for 10 years, 18 articles were published that came as a direct, direct result of his phone being hacked. It was during that period that Gaza had attempted suicide. The case was proven and he received just over 188,000 in damages. In 2016, he was hospitalised with head injuries and broken teeth after being kicked in the back and falling down the stairs in a London hotel. His assailant was jailed for 23 weeks and ordered to pay £7,800 compensation. A year later, Gaza was back in rehab. A year later after that, he was arrested at Durham Rail Station by British Transport Police for allegedly sexually assaulting a woman on a train. He was later cleared of this charge. He lives in Dorset now and has recently emerged back on television as part of the Scared of the Dark programme that Channel 4 did. He participated in a number of television interviews as part of the show's promotion. He did look very well. Having undergone anti-alcohol pellet surgery, He said that he can now walk down the booze aisle in Sainsbury's and his arm doesn't reach out to buy it so much now. He says he can control that urge. Estimating that he'd gone through £20 million during his career, he said, I gave a lot of money away to family. I'm not materialistic. If I was to wind my life back, I'd do it all again. I am happy. He would do all of it again? Really? Yeah, that that did seem a bit odd. That's a bit odd. Surely looking back, the way, you know, if you were to read it to him, if he was listening now and he heard you say chronological order about his life, surely there'd be some that he'd say he wish he hadn't done. Well, many many England supporters of my generation would say that Gascoigne was the best player that England had throughout that period and, and up to now. Many of the players also would say that, but what's really frightening is Gaza never really managed to reach his peak. Mm. With all, all of the injuries, he broke, leg, he broke his leg. He, sorry, he had the ACL injury and then he broke his leg twice. 
Yeah, I mean, it's very unlucky as well. Though. Then he broke his cheekbone doing an elbow. No, he broke his elbow. Elbow. Oh, broken his elbow, and then he had a cheek. He did break. He his broke cheek. his cheekbone playing for England. Yes. Yeah. So that side of it appears unlucky, but surely I think if he saw it written like that, he'd go back. He wouldn't. You know, the stuff that he's admitted with Cheryl. You 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 have to regret that, and and he yeah. does because it had a big impact on his relationship with mm. his his children, including his yeah, his biological yeah, son. So Bianca Gascoigne, the adopted daughter, who regularly publicly declared how much she hated him, she kept his name, mm. which I always thought was quite interesting. She yeah. she hated him, but she kept his name because I suppose there was value attached to it. Now she became a glamour model and a contestant on Love Island. Mason became a successful estate agent, and Regan... <laughs> One of my favourites, the Dancing on Ice, and he's a professional dancer, isn't he? He is. And then he was on Dancing on Ice. He was great. And he, he won it. And you, he saw, won it. you saw Gazza on the show, Yes, he did. And, and to be fair, he looked well there, but I think Gazza is one of those people that he'll look well, and then you see him a couple of months later, and he's had a downward. Then you might see him a year later, and he's okay. You know, when we saw him, when we met him, can't remember what year that was. Mm, it would have been about 10 years ago, wouldn't it? Yeah, okay. So, and he was looking well then, but he's had two or three dips since then. Mm, and and I, th- I, I think as an alcoholic, he will have those dips yeah. throughout his life. I don't mm. think he's ever going to get to the stage where he, he doesn't drink. No. What he says now is he doesn't drink to excess. He can have a few drinks socially. Yeah, and not. He mentioned that surgery he had. Yes. Um, which obviously, yeah, you said it takes the urge away from grabbing it from, you know, in the supermarket shelves or whatever. So I've never heard of that. But yeah, as anything that helps him, then that's nice. And actually, maybe he's in a place now where he can do that. He can drink, but not excess. Whereas obviously back in the 90s, the impact that his drinking had on it. So, mm. yeah. Well, he did build some bridges and he's close to his son, Regan. Regan had been worried about telling his dad about finding out he was bisexual. Mm. Mm. Uh, the newspapers were actually going to break the story. As um, they always do. And so Regan texted his father mm. and his father replied, I still love you no matter what and I'm proud of your decisions. Mm. So it's this contradiction all the time with mm. Gaza. He, he's got such a horrible side at times. And that was something that as I looked through the, the research for this story... That really did strike me that he did some really bad things, but there's also that that playful man-child that's man-child, there as well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the story of Paul Gascoigne is a tale of highs and lows, triumphs and tribulations. From the dusty streets of Gateshead to the grand stadiums of the world, Gascoigne's journey is a reminder that greatness often comes hand in hand with challenges. His addictive personality succumbed to temptations, such as alcohol, cocaine, chain smoking, gambling, high-caffeine energy drinks, exercise and junk food. He also suffered from bulimia, bipolar, twitching and OCD. As football enthusiasts, we remember Gascoigne for not only his mesmerising skills, but also for his human journey, one that showcases the complexities of life both on and off the field. And that is the story of Paul Gaza Gascoigne. Thank you very much. Now, one thing I will say, you've just listed there um, the conditions that he's all had. Now, any person can have any one of those, you know, and, and, and be going through the mental state, dealing with those conditions. Imagine having 
a list that big of them. Yeah. You know, but bulimia, your OCD, the twitching, the bipolar, for someone to have all of them, you know, to have to deal with them all, it's bad enough when you have to deal with one. I think the other thing with Gaza is that death that he experienced, I think he was 10 years old at the time and he saw the, the, the child getting hit by a car, that did have a big impact and he started twitching. So later on, when he was being interviewed, he'd always do these funny faces and stick his tongue out and all of these kind of things. But actually, it turned out that that was a lot to do with the twitching that he developed yeah. from a very young age. Mm-hmm. A whole range of things you can consider. Would he have had the same problems had he not have been a footballer? Would he have suffered from as many ailments had he not drunk so much? Mm-hmm. I think that's a fair question to ask as well. Would he have been injured so much if he took better care of himself as an athlete? Yeah. They're they're all fair questions, I think, and the answers to which we'll probably never fully understand. Very, very interesting doing the story, doing the research for the story. Um, It did make me think about the the kind of adulation I had for Gascoigne uh, Mm -hmm. many, many years ago. And he has struggled, and he's probably been his own worst enemy. Um... His ex-wife, Cheryl Kyle, seems to be doing very well for herself now. And they still have a a friendly relationship now. Mm. So he has tried to make amends, but I think some of his demons have always been at the forefront of his character. And that's something that's been to his his own cost. Yeah, yeah, totally. So that was the story of Paul Gascoigne here on Talk to the Hand podcast. Next week, Beth, you're going to take the reins and give me a story of your own. Yeah, but I'm keeping that under wraps, Jimmy. You'll have to wait till next week. I'm looking forward to hearing what we've got. Uh, please do press the subscribe button and follow us on Twitter at Talk to the Hand Pod, where the two is the number, not the word. Thank you very much for joining us today, and we look forward to seeing you on our next episode. Until then, Talk, talk to, to the, the Hand. hand.